The Coach's Roundtable is brought to you by Between the Lines. Between the Lines offers online training with current minor league affiliates from the comfort of your own home through online technology. With their coaching, watch your skills and money increase due to no longer needing to drive to get training. For more information, go to betweenthelines.pro. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Coaches Roundtable Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Crato, and today I've got the creator, the founder of Kratos Weights, named after myself. Nope, just kidding. Named after something completely different, but, you know, doesn't mean that I can't, you know, build myself up thinking that I'm important um, any more than I possibly could be because I'm not at all. But let's get to know Coach Weaver. Coach Weaver, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are now. Okay. Well, um, I've been uh, a teacher and um, associate head coach at Defiance High School for over 20 years. So um, the whole bat weight came about uh, simply uh, I was giving a lesson to a kid and um, we've, in, in our program, we've, we've used the overload underload, uh, for our throwing program, tennis ball, uh, softball, baseball for over 20 years. And, and probably recently in the last <clears throat> five to seven years, it's, it's been, uh, big on the hitting side of, of trying to create exit velocity. Uh, so we came up with some things a few years ago with a heavy bat. We use a fungal bat and a regular bat. And to, to make it a little shorter story, I was given a lesson to, uh, a younger kid, and we were using a a bat weight, really the one of the few that were on the market, and it and it goes on the barrel. And I was kind of explaining to the dad why we use the the bat weight, but I said if you look at his swing, I'm I'm, I'm not really fond of using this with him because he's not really strong enough to use it, and it's creating more bad habits because his bat head was dragging through the zone. And the, and the dad asked me where would you like the weight? And I said, ideally, it'd be right above the hands. It's, it's not going to uh, affect the bat head. It's actually going to help keep your hands inside and, and promote proper mechanics. So go fast forward about three weeks later, I'm in vacation with my family in Florida, and he sends me a picture uh, with his son holding his bat with a bat weight right above his hands, and he put, is this what you were talking about? And my response was, Yes. Where in the world did you get that? I've been looking for a bat weight like that for over 20 years and I can't find it anywhere. And he, he messaged me back and says, oh, I just made it. And so from there, um, it evolved. Um, we had a, a meeting. We kind of talked about some things and uh, he asked me if I wanted to start a business with him and, and sell them. And my response was, I don't know anything about running a business. And he said, don't worry, I do. But I don't know anything about, uh, or I don't know anyone in, in the baseball world, and you do. So it's kind of been a um, really good relationship. Uh, his name's Justin Kuhn, and um, so we we started the process in July, and we just um, opened up our business two weeks ago, and and it's it's been uh, really cool to see the amount of interest we've gained so far. So can you break down how the weight particularly works and why it's better? Like you were talking about, it helps the swing better, doesn't form bad habits. Could, but can you show any improvement that since you've been using it, like, yes, I can see drastic improvement through this? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it, it goes right above the hands, and, and we have weights that can encompass the t-ball kid, six, seven, eight-year-old, all the way up to a, a professional baseball player. We start at 10 ounces. 
go up to 40 ounces. So, um, so it's just two little screws goes right above your hand. It's, it's easy to, uh, put on, take off. We've been using it with our team for about a month now. Um, and I've seen big jumps in exit velo. I've seen big jumps in their distance. So we're, we're fortunate we have a hit tracks so I can, I can record everything and see their progress on, on the hit tracks. <clears throat> but I think the other improvement that I've seen the most, um, is in their swing mechanics. So it will naturally, the weight on the hands naturally keeps your hands inside the ball. So it's taken a lot of our kids who've, who've had some mechanical flaws in their swing and it has corrected itself just by swinging this. And, and that's a, it's, it's a question I get asked a lot from people is, well, does this come with a hitting program? And it doesn't. And I, I tell everyone if you, if, if they want me to design one for them, I can. But I firmly believe that if you just put it on your bat and, and start swinging, it's, it's going to um, help you with your swing mechanics. It's also going to produce the results um, that you want to see with, with greater exit velocity and that. The other thing um, of, of using this with, with our kids for a month, they all say the same thing, which I think every coach in America would love their kids to come out of the cage and say this. And they all say, when, when I use this, I hit more line drives. And, and it's because it helps create the proper swing path, keeping your hands inside the ball and uh, producing line drives. Now, is this something that you should particularly use just when you're doing T-work? Maybe, maybe you could stretch it to front toss. Could you use it in a live BP session? When should we be using this during training sessions? That's a great question, and that's the really the number one thing that we set that we think sets us apart from uh, other um, devices or things that are on the market. Is you can actually use this off a machine. You can use it in BP. We use it for everything. We use it off the tee. We use it off front toss. We use it off off the machine. Um, and, and I've reached out to um, several college players. We've had a few. Right now, that are still playing, um, that from came from our program. They all ask the same thing: Can I hit with this when I use my machine work? And they are they are floored and ecstatic when I say, "Absolutely, you can!" And and that's part of of how we designed it and why we designed it is because we want them to be able to use it, whether it's an BP, uh, it's off a machine, or if they just want to get some T work and, and front toss. Uh, but we want them to be able to use it with any type of training that they like to incorporate into their off-season or even season workouts. Another question that I have is, do you guys mix it up at practice when using this? Do you primarily just use these weights, you know, no matter what in practice and use them throughout the duration of practice? Or is it, you know, use it for your first round of BP, use it for your first uh, session with the T-work? Or do you guys mix it up? And I know you say you don't have a program, but I'm curious on how you guys implement it into your own program. That's a that's another great question, Joel. Uh, yeah, we do mix it up. So I try to go almost like every other station. So if station one, you're using one of the bat weights, then station two, now it's regular swing. Station three, put a bat weight back on. Station four, regular swings, and then we'll mix up 
um, the light bat. We just use a coach's fungo for the light bat. Um, so we're constantly going from the bat weight to the regular bat and then throwing in um, the fungo bat. I, I think it is important to um, mix it up. Um, but I also think if you just wanted to leave the bat weight on for your whole session, um, I think you could do that too. Um, our kids like to uh, go back and forth. And, and what they tell me is they always like to use the heaviest bat weight um, right before they go into um, the cage with the hit tracks. Uh, they just like the feel of the bat in their hands after they've used either the 25 or the 30 ounce uh, bat weight and then go into the regular swings. Now, does is this a one-size-fits-all? Does your, your college hitters use the same thing as your high school hitters? Do your high school hitters use the same thing as maybe a youth player? Does it come in different sizes depending on the player? Yeah, it does. So I, I think the the younger kid, the seven, eight-year-old, uh, he, he will use, or she, because we can, uh, softball um, can benefit from this also. They would be at the 10-ounce, I think, as you get into more of the little league age, the 11, 12-year-old, 15-ounce. Um, and then uh, for us, most of our high school kids are using a 20 to 25-ounce. Um, the younger kids, we have them more on a 15 to 20. And then some of our bigger seniors are more kind of the 25 to 30-ounce. Um, and we have a um, one of our former players is currently at Ohio State, uh, and he's home over over Christmas, and, and he came up the other day, and, and he wanted to use one, and his question was, what's the heaviest one you have right now? And I said, I have a 40-ounce in my locker, and he's like, that's the one I want. Um, and I asked him, I, I said, is that you specifically, or do you think that's more college guys? And, and his response was, I, most guys in college, they want as heavy uh, as they can get. And, and then it kind of goes into, I, I was talking to another one of our former players, his name's Shay Murray. He's with the Pirates. And I was talking to him and he kind of said the same thing. He's a pitcher, uh, but he lives with a couple position players. And he's, he said the same thing. They can't get enough weight on their bat. So I think the older, um, and as you progress into college and the pros, I think they're going to want to get more of the heavy. But for us with the high school guys, um, we're more into the 20 to 25 ounce range right now. Now, do you guys use them similar to like an over and under load situation? Do you guys go, you know, this this station you're going with the heavier and then, you know, front toss and then, you know, go back to a lighter? Or do you guys primarily you just use one weight per, like for the athlete per, like you're just using this weight on your bat. You're not going more, you're not going less. No, we, we will switch. Um, every station, which usually is, I would say 20 to 25 swings in that station. So we're constantly going from the bat weight to the regular bat, uh, to a fungo back to a bat weight. We're, we are switching it up, uh, all the time in, in our workouts. Uh, and, and you may have touched on this earlier, but I have it written down while you were talking, cause I'm a high school coach. So of course I'm curious, um, in getting these, but what, what would you say is more, uh, why is this more valuable than an over and underload bat? What makes what separates this from that? Like you were talking about earlier, what you guys were using prior to this. The the separator is that it goes right above your hands. Okay, so so the others uh, that we have used goes on the barrel, and and if 
so the, the ones we had before were, were nine ounces and 12 ounces. And unless you were a mature senior, um, swinging that 12 ounce was, was doing more harm than good. They just, most of the kids were not strong enough where the position of that bat weight was on the barrel to get it through the zone. And, and as I would watch them, I'd, I'd sometimes cringe as I watched the bat head just drag through the, the zone. Um, when you use our cradle bat weight, it, it goes right above the hands and you can put more weight on and it is not going to affect that swing path. And actuality, what it will do, if, if you have some bad mechanics, it's going to um, help you smooth those out and, and create the proper swing path, creating keeping, keeping your hands inside the ball where you can attack that inside part of the ball. Um, it, it's amazing what I've seen, like I said, in just a, a, around a month with our kids where they have just smoothed their swing out just by swinging this um, every day. And, and for all the listeners listening, where can someone order or find more information about this? So our website is cradlesports.com, and then you can email me at rweaver at cradlesports.com. That is truly a fascinating, not just story of how you came about with just a guy, a dad, sending you a message saying, hey, is this what you want? And uh, you're being like, yeah, that's exactly what I want. God works in mysterious ways, man. And there is absolutely no doubt in my mind um, that you were chosen to, you know, lead this uh, or at least help lead this, you know, get this into the marketplace. Um, But let's get into your coaching style, uh, your coaching philosophies, your thoughts on coaching baseball and how you guys do stuff. Um, And just kind of break the ice a little bit more. Um, Can you tell us about your long history of coaching baseball? What is the best performance you've seen from a player firsthand as a coach? Oh, that's a, that's a, that's an unbelievable question. I've never been asked that, but that's, um, so, uh, 2003, um, we had a a player by the name of Chad Billingsley. He was a a first round, uh, draft pick by the Dodgers. And and we had a game at St. Mary's and we won seven to nothing, um, Chad was three for three with three homers, seven RBIs. Uh, he was the winning pitcher. Uh, he threw a one hitter and struck out 15 guys. I mean, if, if you can, obviously in baseball, it's hard to say one guy single-handedly won a game, uh, but you can say that in that game. And it's, it's funny because after the game, um, when we were talking to uh, St. Mary's head coach, basically saying that's the greatest single performance I've ever seen in a game. And he said, you know, in the uh, seventh inning, uh, when when Chad was on deck, we had two outs in the top of the seventh, and he said my assistant came over to me and said, if, if Billingsley gets up again, he's like, we need to walk him. And the head coach said, I looked at him and said, we aren't walking him. I want to see if this guy can hit four home runs. <laughs> but so the guy in front of him got out, and he never got up again. But uh, it's we talk about that game all the time. That is a great story, Coach. Um, ironically, I believe as a Cardinals fan, I'm pretty sure Chad Billingsley came up, you know, pitched for the Dodgers, and I believe that he made his Cardinal or not his Cardinal, his Dodger, you know, MLB 
first first pitching performance against the Cardinals, and I believe he dominated the Cardinals in that performance. Um, it was either him or Kershaw. I can't quite remember because they came up around the same time. But I remember watching that game and just saying, if this is what it's going to be like for the next 10 years, uh, this is going to be a rough 10 years if we're struggling against 22-year-old pitchers coming up from the minor leagues. Just absolutely dominating. I'm pretty sure he had double-digit strikeouts against the Cardinals if it, in fact, was uh, Billingsley and not Kershaw. Um, but so let's kind of get into, you know, you've been coaching for a long time, um, like you said, but I'm curious on your thoughts on how baseball is coached today and the amount of analytics being brought in with statistics and charts and decisions being made solely based off numbers, uh, how mechanics are being taught. What are your thoughts on the analytics being used today? Do you think it's hurting or helping or hurting the game? I, I don't know. I, I don't know enough of, of the analytics side like MLB. I know a lot of people think, you know, the, the analytics uh, in the MLB is hurting the game with deciding to take pictures out, even though they're still in control in that. Don't have enough knowledge of that. I do know um, at the high school level, obviously, we don't have um, enough information like that, but we do have a hit tracks. And I think that has been very, very beneficial for us, Um, just for kids to be able to see every swing. Um, For years, um, when we would hit in the cage and they would hit the top of the cage, uh, we would always be like, oh, that's a pop-up, that's a pop-up, that's a pop-up. And then you turn on the hit tracks and all of a sudden you're like, oh, wow, those swings are actually doubles to the gap. Um, so we've learned some things with that. Um, the, the perfect line drive swing is a 10 to 20, um, degree launch angle. So we constantly are working to, um, stay within that, um, 10 to 20 degree launch angle and and working on line drive. So I would say that's the one thing that drives me crazy when I hear people talk about, uh, the launch angle swing. Um, every batted ball has a launch angle. So I could beat one into the ground and it's a negative 40 degree launch angle. I could pop one straight up and it's a, you know, 60 degree launch angle. Or I hit a rocket up the middle and it's an 18 degree launch angle. So to me, I, when I hear that, I'm like, there, there isn't a, a launch angle swing. You could be teaching the swing to hit home runs or hit ground balls but there isn't a launch angle swing. So I said, I guess when you ask about analytics, that's kind of the one thing that drives me crazy when I hear people on TV talk about the problem with the game is, is being is because the launch angle swing is, is being taught. Again, with analytics being such a, a newer thing, or at least the amount of analytics and you've been coaching for a long time. So how have you changed your coaching uh, techniques. How have you evolved over the years as a coach? How are you different from when you started to where you are now? Um, I, I would say how I'm different has nothing to do with analytics or that. Um, I would say I'm more compassionate, positive. I think uh, my first couple of years, I was I was sarcastic. I pointed out the negatives. I don't want to say I sat and screamed and yelled at kids because that's never been my personality. But what I did was always just talked about their negatives. Hey, you need to do this better. You need to do this better. You need to do this better. And all they ever heard from me was, hey, what do I have to do to get better? And, and it was never, oh, you're doing this good. 
so as I've evolved through the years, I try to point out more positives with the kids. And it could just be as simple as that was a great swing or, hey, great job of going to get that fly ball. Trying to point out more positives than the negatives. Now, don't get me wrong. You still have to talk about what they have to improve, but they, I, I believe they have to hear positives from their coach as much as they do what they need to do to get better. Now, being an associate head coach is not a, a typical you know, position in the high school. Usually it's head coach, assistant coach, but truly if you're an associate head coach at the high school level one, um, you have to be really, really good to, uh, for your coach to respect you like that. And I'm just curious on what that role entails uh, for you. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and, and the first thing, so what you, what you have to understand is, so our, our head coach is Tom Held. I played for him in high school, um, and then went away to college and, and kind of came back. I literally for, I'm 47 now, since I've been 15, there's been about two years where we haven't been around. So our, our relationship is, is really close. Um, and about 15 years ago, uh, he approached me, he said, let's, let's be, Head, co-head coaches. I want to name you a co-head coach. I'm like, no, I, I don't like that. I don't like the co-head coach. You're the head coach. And then he said, well, you know, you do too much for this program. I'm at least going to make you associate head coach. And 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 I was good with that. I, I was actually honored that, that he wanted to do that for me. So basically, it, it is like we're, we're both head coaches. Um, my role is, is the hitting coach. I do base running and I do outfield. So when, when our practices start up here in the end of February, the first hour um, of practice, we do hitting and, and I run it completely. Um, he goes to a cage and I just tell him, here's what you're working on this cage. Here's the other. And so for that hour, I run the show. Then we'll go outside. We do our, our throwing for about 40 minutes. He's the pitching guy. So then he runs um, that part of practice, then we'll split up into individual defense. He takes the infielders, I take the outfielders, and then the last hour of practice, what we'll usually do is is some type of scrimmage. Um, he runs the defensive part, and then I run all the offensive part through the scrimmage, and that's kind of how we uh, manage a practice. That's fascinating, and such a good head coach to respect you like that. Um that's a, that's a great program that I think any coach would want to be a part of. Um, but so let's say you're doing some hitting stuff. What are some of your favorite drills to do with your players uh, when you're in charge of the hitting sessions? So we're, we're, we're very fortunate in that uh, one of our former players, um, John Neese, and then actually Chad Billingsley, who I talked about earlier, both of them donated a substantial amount of money to build us an indoor hitting facility Um with six batting cages in a locker room. So we're very spoiled. Um, but if, if you, if you ask about what, what are my favorite drills? Um, my favorite probably is just your basic, uh, T in the long cage. And we try to see how many, um, line drives they can hit off the back. I, I think, I, I don't think you can hit off a T and see where it's going enough. And and then what we've done is we've taken the bat of the net or the back of the net and divided it into four quadrants. And then we work on hitting certain quadrants. I, I really believe kids um, lack 
um, barrel control of being able to hit a ball where they want to. So we really like to work on that with just your tee, baseball, and either got to hit quadrant one, quadrant two, quadrant three, quadrant four. So I'm a math teacher, and I always get I always get amazed when I tell a kid, "All right, we're going for quadrant three, and then they don't know where that's at. And <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm always like, "Well, you're lucky you haven't had me yet because you better know quadrant three when you go through my class." But that's that's one of my favorites. That's that's one I like to do. Oh, that's good. I've always found it fascinating baseball coaches that are math teachers because. Uh, there's just so much math in baseball. And for me personally, I'm not a math teacher. I'm a PE teacher. Um, but I love the math of baseball, even though I couldn't stand sitting in math class. Um, it's absolutely fascinating. I love the the statistics, the analytics. I love, you know, doing the what ifs of this. You know, you see the stats on uh, Twitter. Like if so-and-so comes back and it's 400. I think I saw one where it says if, if Omar Vizquel comes back and hits 400 straight home runs, he'll still have a lower slugging percentage than Scott Rowland or something uh, along those lines. I always find that stuff fascinating, even though I absolutely despise math class throughout elementary, middle, high school, and college. Um, so my next question is this. Uh, as, a, as a hitting guy, Coach Weaver, what's your two-strike approach for your hitters? So our two-strike approach is um, really – so we talk about getting wider and, and choking up. And what, what you'll hear me say, I coach first base, is I always just say um, power oppo approach. And we picked this up from Dallas Baptist uh, a couple years ago. So power oppo means a hard ground ball to the opposite side. So for me, I'm a, I'm a left-handed hitter. So a power oppo approach would be you want to hit a rocket right at the shortstop. And, and so... What, you, what you're trying to do is get that hard hit ball that kind of will hit the ground maybe five feet um, before the shortstop. If you're righty, obviously you want to do it at second. So <clears throat> we used to say just try to hit a, hit a hard ground ball. And then what they would do, most of our kids would then just chop at it. And it, it really defeated the purpose. And, and when Dallas Baptist was talking and they talked about this power oppo approach, it made so much sense to me. And, and when we started incorporating that lingo and explaining them to them what it meant, we, we got a lot better results with two strikes. Um, the other thing, and this really has nothing to do with approach, but we keep, we keep a player's average with, with every count. So I can tell them, hey, on 3-1, you're hitting this. On 2-0, you're hitting this. And through the years, we've, we've compiled this. And the the one one pitch is is the most crucial pitch in baseball if you if you're looking at batting average because if if you go from one one to two one you become about a four hundred hitter uh, if you go from one one to one two you become like a one eighty nine hitter which it's incredible now I bring that up and then I also say we very rarely. Um, talk batting averages. Now I do show them that because only because I want to stress to them how important it is to not get to two strikes. But what we stress in our program is quality at bats. So in 2013, we were introduced to Steve Springer and, and I, I really believe he is one of the single most factors that helped, um, take our program to another level with his, um, 
talks, his CD about the batting average is evil. It, it's incredible. If, if you've never listened to it, you need to um, listen to it. It, it is outstanding. Um, it talks about how kids can go 0 for 4 and hit four rockets and they think they're terrible. Or they can go two for four with two dribblers and they think they're the greatest in the world, um, which which is true. So uh, those are kind of some of the things that we really talk about that, that help us with that two-strike approach that you were asking. Now, I am curious, in such a prestige program organization that uh, you've been a part of or you've named, uh, you know, Chad Billingsley, John Neese, um, and you guys probably have some amazing facilities, but I'm interested on how you guys install the discipline you want in your culture for your players and coaches alike. Well, that's a good question. Um, I really think the the players uh, instill the culture and, and the discipline. I think it's passed down. Um, obviously, we are, you know, the the ones in charge, um, but we don't have captains. We just every senior is a leader, um, and and our biggest belief is that the seniors are in charge of everything. So if if a workout or practice is over, the seniors are in charge of picking up, making sure everything's put away. Um, we do not let them boss freshmen around. Um, we have them take freshmen under their wings. So whenever we do drills, we will always partner a senior with a younger guy and help them um, learn what Defiance Baseball is about. Uh, I, I, and we, we tell the freshmen, especially those first couple of weeks, we understand you're, you're scared, you're nervous, you don't know what to expect. The, the last thing you need is to go in the locker room and have the seniors picking on you, telling you to do this. Um, so our seniors are in charge of, of that. They're in charge that the locker room's cleaned up. They're in charge that everything's uh, put away. And in turn, what that does is the younger guys then, as they move up, then they gain the responsibility of, of taking ownership of the program. Another thing I'm curious is how do you guys promote your culture amongst the community in school? Huh. Uh, I'm not sure. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question, I guess. Um, I, I, I guess um, the way we uh, expect them to act and behave, um, we still make them have clean-cut haircuts. They can't have the long hair. They can't have earrings. Um they have to uh, behave in a certain uh, expected manner at school. If we uh, receive an email or a teacher comes and talks to us about a student's behavior in class, um, the whole team runs. If a kid is tardy to school, the whole team runs. Uh, if a kid receives a detention, um, the whole team runs. Um, and, and we constantly talk to them that it, it's a privilege to be a part of the Defiance Baseball program, uh, that if they can make it through four years, um, that's a special accomplishment. Um, and then when a kid does graduate after um, four years, 
uh, we give them a little medallion on the front. It says uh, Defiance Baseball. And then on the back, it says no one is bigger than the program. And, and that's what we stress to them. The, the program is bigger than any one of us. Coach, do you think that being a multi-sport athlete is an important factor or do you think it could be possibly overblown? I'm curious on your thoughts on what you think of being a multi-sport athlete. I like the multi-sport athlete. Um, I played three sports. Um, a lot of our um, players right now are in basketball. Um, I, I would, I would, one, I would never discourage uh, a kid from playing another sport. I, I think it. I think they all. I think every sport um, brings a uniqueness that helps develop a kid. Um, I think the competitiveness, I think the, the different types of sports are good. Um, yeah, I, I, I like the multi-sport kid. I, I mean, if you went down the list of all our guys that were drafted, that went on to play Division I uh, baseball, I would. I think it's roughly eighty-five to ninety percent were basketball players. I mean, they were guys that were um, in the on the basketball gym floor all winter, and then they showed up the the first day of um, practice. Now, in saying that, um, like we we don't. If you are in a a winter sport, we leave you alone. Like we don't expect you to do anything with baseball. The only thing really that we ask is our basketball guys. Um, that are pitchers, we ask them once it comes around January, start throwing, get your arm in shape because you know also that uh, the baseball season's short. So if a basketball kid is a pitcher and he comes to us day one and hasn't picked up a ball, his arm's probably not going to be ready to pitch till close to tournament time. So that's the only thing we ask our winter athletes is if they're pitchers, start throwing in, in January to get your arm in shape. Coach, how would you define success for yourself as a coach? Um, to me, to define success is is really, I think it is when the kids graduate and they come back. So if, if kids want to stay in touch and they're in town and they come back to a workout or they come back to practice or they come back to a game and, and sit in the dugout and – they talk about all their fond memories and their stories and their time with us at Defiance Baseball, and and they had a great experience. To me, that's success. Like that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to um, promote a a great program, but we want them to have a positive experience. We want them to still love the game of baseball when they leave, and. We want them to to stay in touch. I mean, we have we have all these we have all our alumni on a email distribution list. We have them all on text. I, I talk to so many former players daily, either email, text. They'll Facetime me. Um, to me, that's success. That they still want to uh, talk to us and and see us and come visit when they're home. Uh, I think that's success in my mind. All right. I've only got a few more questions for you left, Coach Weaver. And this one I'm going to ask you and, uh, you know, start racking your brain. But 
What is the craziest, wildest thing that you've ever witnessed firsthand on a ball field? <laughs> Man, you put me on the spot. Um, craziest, wackiest. Well, um, I, I, maybe the craziest was 2013, first game of districts. Um, we're playing Toledo Central Catholic, who has a great program. Their head coach is Jeff Milkerick. Um, they no-hit us in the districts, and we beat them one to nothing, um, and we go on to win the state title that year. It was our, our first one that we had won with us uh, as the coaches, and uh, we talk about that a lot. Like, how can you get no-hit in a tournament game and you still win – and then we go on to win the state title that year. That's good stuff, Coach. And so I'll wrap up the podcast with this question right here. Uh, with this offseason, the ABCA convention coming up, if you were able to present at the ABCA convention, what would you want to present on? And then could you give us a little snippet preview of what that would sound like? Oh, wow. What I would want to present on? Man, um, probably... Oh, Joel, you put me on the spot on this one. Um, I would, I'm not sure that I would want to present, but what I've always wanted to see presented, if you'll allow this answer, is I've always wanted to see like a a major league hitting coach or even a college hitting coach um, break down hitter's swings and kind of go over with coaches some key points that they look at in a swing and give some absolutes of what they think hitters need to do um, in the swing. Um, I, I've just I've always been intrigued by video, and I like video, and I've really always wanted to kind of hear what, um, like I said, college or pro hitting coaches, what they look at. Um, when they video their players.